podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? I'm all right. I'm now feeling really post-season, end of summer sort of thing. How are you? I am good. This is take two of this podcast due to my inability to hear straightforward instructions. Um, The season's over. The transfer window is open to an extent. And player movement is already beginning. And what we thought we'd do today is take a look at the players that are out of contract and what? See where we think they might land, what clubs might be suited to the player, what clubs are in need of a player of that ilk. Yeah, I think that's right. And probably a few in there as well, which are absolutely not relevant to the things that you said, but still they might go for those players because... That's still what some football clubs choose to do. Oh, of course, of course. And there's a prime example, I believe, already of this, which is the decision of Barcelona to sign Frank Kessie on a Bosman. Frank Kessie, for me, doesn't really fit with Barcelona, doesn't really fit how they play. And I wouldn't say fills a real position of need for them, but yet... They have agreed terms with him. It's not signed yet because they have to get approval for all contract signings from the La Liga board. But let's start with him just before we move on to the ones that aren't done. What do you think of Frank Kessie to Barcelona? I I completely agree with what you're saying, that he's not their type of player. But I do also think that he fills a role that they don't have in the team. And now the reason that they don't have it in the team is because they don't play him that particular way or ask the midfielders to do that particular job. So it's a really, really weird mix and move if the plan is to continue largely, as has been the case with Xavi since he came in and with the jobs the midfielders have had to be doing. I think it's a a good addition if he's going to try and add something new to that mix and not make it all about the, uh, the recycling and the possession and try to be a lot quicker in transition play and try to be a lot more aggressive high up fields because, I mean, they have a couple of players who can do that, who are really good ball carriers and really good at um, creating pressing angles and everything higher up field, but they didn't really utilise, let's say, Frankie de Jong in that way, for example. Um, Still a lot of the midfield work has been about protecting the mobility or lack thereof of Sergio Busquets. And while you can say that on a very, very basic level, yeah, Kessier would probably do that in terms of doing all the running for him alongside him. There's about 30,000 other players you can get to do that who don't have half of the qualities Kessier has. And mm. he'll be wasted if they don't let him play the way he can do, the way he's basically carried Milan to two title fights. I wouldn't say he led them to the title this year quite so much as he was uh, really on top of his game last season. But still, there's a lot to his games alike. And the way that Barca have been over the last, let's say, six months or so, I'm not necessarily going to see all of those traits come to the fore. No. And, I mean, look, maybe one way of looking at it is that they get him in. If it doesn't work, they've got a good asset that they can sell next summer. And he will have value. He's a player that a lot of clubs have been linked with over the past few years. So maybe they're looking at it in that regard. There's no real downside for them here. They will be able to find a buyer for him and make a decent profit on him next summer if it doesn't work for him. So he's off the table. I'm I'm just going to go by what transfer market tells me in terms of contract expiring. I don't know if you've got a different list open, but I'm going to work from the top down. Um, we'll just quickly hit some of these and go into more depth on others. So the most valuable player available on a Bosman this summer is Paul Pogba 
Now, it does look like he's going back to Juventus. There's also been PSG and Real Madrid rumours, but there doesn't seem to be any real substance to those. Do you think Pogba to Juve is a good move for the club? And is it a good move for him? Probably would be a good move for him in terms of going back somewhere where he's highly regarded and um, the fans obviously still, in most parts, I believe, like him and remember him fondly and so on. Uh, For Juve, I don't really know because, again, I'm not really 100% sure what Allegri is trying to do with the midfield there. There's been so many changes and chopping around and everything over the last two years between himself coming back and the way Pirlo was trying to set up the midfield last year. It's not, a, it's not a very consistent sort of arrangement there at the moment. Now, in, in pure numbers terms, obviously you can say that Juve definitely need to get in one or two this summer. Good deal will obviously depend on the, the salary that he's on and the amount that the free transfer actually costs them. Whether we're ever going to see him play at the same level that he did at Juve first time around, I very much doubt. Yeah, I feel the same. I feel like that Paul Pogba probably stayed in Turin the first time and may well have just wandered off into the ether. Um, he, he, for me, is the biggest disappointment of the last 10 years because when he was leaving Juve, he looked like he was ready to step up and attain the mantle of the best midfielder in the world. And with his skill set, and his physical gifts, the sky should have been the limit. But what we've seen at United has been so disappointing. Maybe the slightly slower pace of Serie A, like you said, a, a club that regard him very highly, a manager that he has worked with and had success before under, maybe all that can get his head right, get him focused again. And we'll see more of what he is when he plays for France. Uh, moving past him then, Kessie off the board. Paolo Dybala leaving Juventus on a Bosman. Strong links to Inter Milan, but also linked to a couple of Premier League clubs. Now, outside of Inter, where does he make sense? Uh, I initially thought that he might do at Barcelona, to be fair. Um, That's probably no longer the case, given the signings that they've made since. Um, last year, sort of before the January transfer window, when we were looking at the free transfers who were potentially upcoming, uh, I did mention Inter and Barca as the two who maybe Dybala with his tendency to drop deep and you know, Inter obviously playing with a two-man attack might well have suited. I believe Borussia Dortmund have uh, made an offer for him, which is basically he's uh, not happy with or not going to be going to there. Um, it's a bit difficult to place him because he's not a nine to play by himself. I don't think he's not an inside forward. You're never going to get the best of him using him in that role. You do kind of need to have either a two-man attack or even as a number 10 and a 4-2-3-1, you're not going to get the midfield work out of him. So he is still just a second forward in that kind of a system as well. And there's limited sides really at the top end of the game Mm. um, who I think utilize that kind of a system. So, I mean, you could feasibly say, let's say Chelsea do offload Lukaku, well, okay, they could get Dybala and he could dovetail quite nicely with someone like Kai Havertz, you think, um, Mason Mount as a third one or something like that. But it's not going to be a perfect fit in terms of their three-man attack. It's still going to be one of them through the middle and one of them slightly left. And I don't honestly think that any of the sides like, you know, the Bayern Munich, the, the top two Spanish teams, that kind of thing, are, are really in need of what Dybala has and the same can be said now for Man City, obviously getting Haaland. The same can be said of Liverpool, maybe, unless Sadio Mane leaves. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool could be an option, but I think his wages, his age, I think that would rule him out. Hmm. Um, but I could certainly see how it could work. I, I think you, you kind of do need to commit to, you know, some variation of a four-four-two to get the best of him, or, or a three-four-three. Um, If you were Inter Milan and also looking at this from a Chelsea point of view and you signed Dybala, would a Laturo Martinez for Romelu Lukaku swap 
suit all parties, forgetting the individual, forgetting Laturo's desire to stay, just from a footballing point of view, for me, Lukaku and Dybala as a pairing makes more sense than Dybala and Laturo. And then Laturo with Kai Havertz and, say, Pulisic as a front three, or even as a two with him and Havertz, I think that could work really well if I was into Milan and looking to make a couple of big moves this summer. Yeah, I think it makes more sense for for Inter than it does for Chelsea, to be fair. Um, I I think Dybala is a slightly better player uh, in terms of technique and positional play and all the rest of it than Laudaro is. Laudaro is probably a better goal scorer and penalty box player, that kind of thing. They are slightly different players, even though operate in vaguely similar areas. Areas, yeah. The runs that they make and where they prefer to pick up the ball and all the rest of it. So, yes, I would definitely say if they could get Lukaku and Dybala for the cost of Lautaro, that's a win for Inter Milan, for sure. And then you've still got people like uh, Correa and Dzeko. For your depth. Yeah, or if one of them leaves, obviously you've still got Caicedo as well. So there's enough there to definitely make that a, a case for that being an upgrade. And that way you've got probably an extra couple of years if, you, if you're no longer relying on Dzeko with a, a similar forward line. And I, I don't think that the salary overall would be much of a difference either. I know obviously Lukaku's going to be on big money as well, but when you take into account probably getting extra money in for Lukaku compared to what they paid Sorry, compared to the value of the deal, which would take him back, it's still probably a win overall. Yeah, because, and I mean, I think Laturo is a better fit at Chelsea than Lukaku's ever going to be. And he's kind of a dead asset for them at the minute because it's quite clear Thomas Tuchel doesn't want to put him in the team. So you can either have Laturo who can fit what you want to do. And what I'm talking about is what Tuchel wants to do, not what he has been doing. And you get, you know, you get rid of a player who, by the sounds of things, isn't exactly a joy to be around at the minute. Um, So, I don't know, maybe. Right, Andreas Christensen, he is going to Barcelona. Uh, I I do like that signing for Barca, I have to say. That one makes an awful lot more sense than the Kessie one. Yeah, decent deal. Um, There have been a few uh, murmurings of discontent, let's say, from Chelsea uh, over the last three weeks, four weeks of the season, something like that with a couple of games that he missed, injury, that sort of thing. But whether that's to do with him obviously having made the decision to move on and protecting himself a little bit, don't really know. His camp have obviously refuted any sort of suggestion of that. But overall, given Barca's defence, their options and how good I think Christensen is when he gets played regularly, that's definitely a big upgrade. Mm. Yeah, I can see him and Areo forming a decent partnership there for sure. And I mean, you know, if they can find a home for Clement Langley this summer. Uh, I know someone that you're not all that fond of. I think that's a a big win for Barcelona. Um, Maybe the most enticing free agent of the summer, the one with the potential to be the biggest boom or also the biggest bust, is Usman Dembele, who has been at Barcelona for five years and barring a four-month spell at the second half of this season, it was largely a disaster for him, for the club. They spent well over $100 on him, as they did for Coutinho, and aren't getting a single penny back. Where makes sense for him? He's been linked to PSG, he's been linked with Chelsea, he's been linked to a few other places. And if you were Liverpool, would you even consider it? Yes, I would. And there would have to be caveats to this, same as with every single club who should be looking at him. And that is that, you know, taking into account medical history and all the rest of it, the checks out and all the rest of it, you have to have uh, a very, very solid unit in terms of rebuilding, I think, his hamstrings to a certain extent across pre-season. So you want to get the deal done early. That's one thing that any club who wants to sign him needs. Uh, They also have to have, obviously, really good... Uh, monitoring and analysis and uh, injury prevention methods and all the rest of it across the course of the season and the contract, which is going to have a real strong focus on him in particular. Thirdly, I would want a club which is able to build in, uh, you know, some extent at the very least of 
the contract being built on either appearances or game time or you know achievements on the pitch, whatever it is. It's got to be um, not quite a pay as you play because of his age and his quality is obviously huge, but certainly he needs to be contributing to be able to get the full scale of what he should earn. I think that that's quite important after the long, long line of injuries that he's had now. And I've said before, a lot of this is down to Barcelona and their lack of management off the pitch, the lack of overall uh, cohesion of the squads and the management of it and so on and so forth. So I don't place all the blame at, at Dembele's feet, but each individual player also has to take responsibility for their own career. And especially if the same thing is happening to them two, three, four times, you've got to at some point say, I need to sort this out. So someone who can help him manage that situation, someone who can obviously uh, help him progress tactically and technically because he is a sensational player. And the last three, four months, like you say, if we see that from him, let's say once a year, that run of form once a year, that automatically makes him better than the majority of attackers in the Premier League or whichever other top flight you care to look at in Europe. So the answer to who should go for him is every club who has all that stuff that I've just listed, everything in place to make that happen uh, because he is that good and he would give you that much of an upside if you can keep him focused and fit. Yeah, if you can keep him focused and fit, there's no doubting he's a very, very special player. I have doubts about being able to keep him focused and fit and like you said, if Liverpool were to sign him, it would have to be a heavily incentivized contract and I think he's probably going to get contracts that just guarantee him his money um, from clubs that either don't care or have new ownership and are looking to be splashy without a massive initial outlay. I think he's probably going to land at Chelsea. I think like him and Koulibaly is the type of first window I'm sort of expecting from Chelsea where they're getting big name players without... Massive fees. I mean, Dembele will get a big sign-on bonus and Koulibaly will cost 35, 40 million. But neither of them for me are like they're not Koulibaly's not the player he was three years ago. And Dembele is such a big question mark, but they are signings that will excite the fans and show the fans like we do mean business here. So That's kind of what I'm expecting from him. Um, This is an interesting one. This guy, five years ago, had an incredible Serie A season and Torino turned down nearly £100 million for him and they're now losing him for nothing. Andrea Bellotti. Now, my initial thought with him is Spurs need a backup for Harry Kane that's who I'd go and get if I was them, because he could play with Kane or instead of Kane. Uh, Is there anywhere else that you think he makes a lot of sense? Um, Arsenal, to be honest, because they need striker. (laughs) You know, Lacazette has today confirmed that he's leaving. Might be another one we get to in a bit. Uh, They do need a number nine. I'm not a a Bellotti fan, to be honest. I never really have been. I don't think his movement is of the very highest quality. Obviously, as a finisher, he's good. He's got a really powerful strike when he's in form and confident. He can find the bottom corner every single time and all the rest of it. He he does have, overall, a good record in the Italian top flight. Outside of Italy, I wonder how much he'll adapt, simply because that's a trait that we've really seen from Italian strikers over and over over again, especially this kind of proper centre-forward Italian uh, overseas players have generally not done that well, I would say. And... I don't honestly think that he is of the calibre to make it a, you know, a Champions League contending club. Maybe a club which has just gone into the Champions League like Spurs. I don't really think that he would be a Kane alternative, to be honest. Uh, I don't think he gives anywhere near enough on the ball in general build-up to be... No, but who does, though? No, no, nobody like, at all. Buying a Kane backup is maybe... Do you remember when we, were, when we spent years trying to buy a Torres backup? Yeah. That's and, kind and- of where Spurs are now. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. And the problem that the Spurs have now is that they they need what they've tried to do for years is like sign that player who can play wide and through the middle, but be a backup for two different players. And the problem is that they just don't rest or rarely drop Kane and Son. And therefore, even if you're one backup for two positions, you still don't play very much. Mm. Plus the fact that they kept signing actually quite bad players to do that job. 
Yes. Yes, they did. <laughs> um, there's part of me that I'd like to see him go to Lazio because him and Immobile were quite good together at Torino. But I do think he's going to go overseas. I think maybe La Liga would suit him a bit better than the Premier League from a physicality point of view. From Like you said, his movement's not great, but he does have a little knack of finding a yard and he gets his shot away very quickly. There's a bit more space to be had behind La Liga defences than there is Premier League defences. So maybe he ends up there. I wouldn't be against that at all. And I I think there's two potential ones that I could say straight away. One, I don't know that he would be particularly interested because they're not obviously even a top half side really at the moment, is Valencia. I think with them playing two up front more often than not, uh, whether it's him and Maxi Gomez, that's a really powerful front line. Or if it's him and Gerdish, for example, that's good movement around one who can be more of a hold-up player. But like I said, Valencia, A, a shambles, B, have today sacked Bordelas, and C, uh, you know, not exactly a stable club that you want to go and move for the first time you go abroad. No. Um, the other one is probably Atletico Madrid, just because of the style that Simeone loves for centre-forwards and stuff. Mm. But as I said, I don't actually think he's good enough for that. So maybe if he was the second choice number nine for them. But again, are you going to leave Torino after all this time and go and be a backup? Yeah, see, that will depend on money, I think. But um, Atleti do have a need for a striker. And maybe they'll look at Matthias Cunha and say, right, you're our new starter and we're looking to bring in a backup. And maybe he's that kind of bustly forward. But if if Simeone wants to get that type of forward, he should probably just buy his own son, um, who'd probably just make more sense for them. Um, back to the Premier League with James Tarkovsky leaving Burnley, linked to a lot of clubs, most notably West Ham, who I think he's a really good fit for, Villa, who have signed Diego Carlos but remain interested in Tarkovsky, and Everton. Now, he's also been mentioned for Newcastle, but it doesn't seem to be real traction on that one. I think any of the four could use him, either as a starter at West Ham, Everton, or Newcastle, or potentially as a third centre-back who'll still play quite a bit at Villa. Where would you put him? Where would you advise him to go? And is there anyone else outside of those four that you think would make sense? I think James Tarkovsky on a free transfer to any club who finished between 7th and 12th is the most nailed-on deal of the entire summer. It's such a... Well, I suppose Villa finished 14th in the end, but you know that, that group of clubs anyway who were all within five or six points of each other. It's, <laughs> it just is that typical English, freebie, solid, reliable, know the job that they can do, might upgrade us kind of deal, isn't it? If it's... If it doesn't pay off that he's not quite good enough or able to step up into a new partnership, he was free. He's probably not going to be on enormous wages. You can get away with him being a third or fourth. He's basically uh, like, you know, like Michael Keane, but not costing twenty-five million pounds, isn't he? So I don't really think that there is a single team who he would benefit more than anybody else. Um, I mean, you could make a good case for him, for example, going to Wolves and really help in strengthening that back line, which, mm. you know, in the th- in the three-man defence that they've had for so long, I think he's an upgrade on probably all of them. Or if they do eventually want to go to the four-man defence, then him and Max Kilman, that's Is, That's a pairing I like. Yeah, that's a pairing I do like. Now, the only flaw in that plan is he's not Portuguese, yeah. so that may rule him out. But Max Kilman, obviously not Portuguese either. I think he's a real Moyes-esque centre-back. I, you could see him just slotting in to where Craig Dawson has been playing yeah. and being an immediate upgrade. And his calmness with Zuma, I think that's a pairing I, I could get on board with. Um, does he strike you as a, as a Brendan Rodgers signing? See, he does, but I don't know. Given some of the signings Rodgers made last summer most notably Ryan Bertrand on big wages and Yannick Vestergaard on 15 million in big wages. I'm not sure how much freedom Brendan is going to get with the recruitment this summer. Um, His boy, Lee Condrton, having failed at Sunderland, failed at Celtic and failed at Leicester, has somehow been given the position as head of recruitment at Atalanta. 
Um, so maybe Atalanta could be a, could be a, a place for him to go. But um, he does, and he is the type that Leicester could do with. Like Johnny Evans is, he's past being able to play anything more than maybe two games a month. So you could see Tarkovsky sliding in next to Fafana, and that's a pairing that could work. I mean, like you said, anyone outside the top six, and even, like, to be fair, he's an improvement on Ben White. He just doesn't really suit how Arsenal play. He could fit in Brighton's back three, but they won't pay the kind of wages he's likely to get offered elsewhere. Um, he'd be an improvement at Southampton over Bednarak, even though I do like Bednarak. I think Tarkovsky's just better. He could go anywhere. Like, he is one of those players that just... He's plug and play for anyone that's not an elite level club. Yeah, I agree. I think he's a, a pretty low risk addition for anybody, isn't he? He's also probably the lowest risk player at Burnley in that he knows he's going to be able to play in the Premier League next season. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Moving on. Alex Lacazette, uh, news today that he is leaving Arsenal at the end of the month. He has been linked with a move back to Lyon. But in the past, he's been linked with other clubs, including Atletico Madrid. I think he's a better player than we've seen at Arsenal. I think he's been miscast at Arsenal. I said this on today's Two-Footed. When I look at Lacazette and I look at what Emery seemed to be trying to do, now I'm not certain he was trying to do this because I haven't obviously spoken to your friend Unai, but what it seemed to me like Emery wanted was a front three of Pepe on the right Lacazette to the middle and Aubameyang on the left almost like an inverted or mirrored version of what we had which was you know a big time goal scorer in Salah they had Aubameyang a goal scorer who could also create we had Mane they had Pepe and then that sort of facilitator third option in attack who'll get you 12 to 15 goals but will create more goals then he scores, even if he doesn't have the same number of assists, his movement, his link play, things like that. Lacazette in the middle where we had Bobby. Now, obviously, a different type of player to Bobby. Doesn't have Bobby's pressing capacity. But when we saw Arsenal really hum this season, Lacazette was the nine. And there was a lot of movement and pace around him, and it did seem to work. And I think that's what Emery initially wanted. He just didn't have anything else that we had. Didn't have the midfield, didn't have the quality at fullback. They bought Tierney, but they didn't have a right back who could do anything close to what Trent could do. He could have used Saka as the left side at eight, and he did at times, but the rest of the midfield just wasn't good enough. You're talking about people like Granit Xhaka, who, you know, I mean, he's Granit Xhaka. I think Lacazette's a good player, and I think he could be a clever signing for a number of clubs. And if I was Spurs, I'd probably make him an offer. I don't think he'd take it, but I'd make him an offer. You just love to see the world burn, don't you? Yes, I do. I lo- especially North London. I love <laughs> to see real friction and dislike between rivals. And I think the, the, the Saul Campbell fume died out about seven, eight years ago, finally. And I'd like to see some more fume, although it wouldn't be the same level of fume. I'd like to see some more fume, but in the opposite direction. <laughs> it would make it spicy next season, that's for sure, especially after the end of this year and how fourth place played out. Um, I, I like Lacazette. I do think he's you know a good, especially second four when he was dropping a little bit deeper and all the rest of it. I think like most old poacher number nine classic sort of types like he was when he was coming through and they do start dropping deep and being a bit more intelligent, not as much pace or explosive acceleration as they used to. Um, it is really important that they pick up this ability to find space between the lines and be really good in combination play. And he does all that. Like you said, they had that the best run that they had just before Eddie Nketiah finally got his seven-year overdue run in the first team. Lacazette was like the main build-up player for them. He was the conduit for all their play. He was able to uh, make the space for when Emil Smith-Rowe had his really good goal-scoring run, for example. Um, it, he was a very, very important player for their build-up. And I, I'm fairly sure, I might have said at the time, maybe it was on the scouted that we did before our last game against Arsenal, like for what they seem to be doing and the forwards that they're looking at at that time, it was really hard to, to find someone better than Lacazette who could do all those things. Um, 
you know, without going and spending either 80 million quid on a single person or just trying to get people who would not sign for them, like Vlaovic did, for example. So I, I still struggle to see a little bit where Arsenal are going to upgrade on everything that he does. But for him, uh, I could see him thriving, for example, if he went to, let's say, the Bundesliga or whatever. I do think it's most likely that he goes back to France, mm. uh, maybe you know, Lyon or even I would say maybe Monaco or Marseille if he, if he wasn't against signing for either club, you know, now that they're back in the uh, Champions League, obviously. Uh, he could be someone who's who's really important for them. I mean, Monaco still have Wissam Benyeda, for example, so maybe a little bit less likely signs for them. Um, but either way, the experience that he has, the ability that he has in build-up play, I could see him thriving for a side who is decent in Europe and capable of challenging for the second place title, should we call it? Because that's just a different league, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And he was basically just... You know, there's the the oil title, and then there's the league title from second below. Um, he he's definitely going to have options. He's he's going to have offers. He he is a good player, and um, I think Arsenal were were foolish to to let it play out the way they did. Would it would it be peak Barcelona with their you know need to restructure <laughs> if they went and tried to pair him and and Aubameyang again? It'd be peak Arsenal if if he if they did and it worked. If it, if it did and they worked really well. I, mean, I think it would just send, <laughs> it might send Arsenal fans over the edge. Uh, yeah, I could definitely get on board with that. And Ar- Barca are clearly in the market for a striker as well. Yeah. Um, slightly off topic, but well, on topic, but not on the topic of free transfers. Obviously, Barca Lewandowski is the is the strong kind of link, but there's growing rumours that Barca would target Romelu Lukaku. If it didn't work, I'm struggling to think of a worse fit in world football than Romelu Lukaku at Barcelona. Um, Romelu Lukaku and Aubameyang, it just really doesn't seem like something that would work to me in a front three. Uh, what what are your thoughts on, on Lukaku to Barca? Maybe we've got Xavi all wrong and he's actually just going to be like the next Jose Mourinho and that's why he's getting Kessia in and uh, Lukaku's going to follow and then we can probably expect a a change at centre-back and like they signed Chris Smalling this summer or something like that. I'm all about Chris Smalling to Barcelona. The man deserves that type of move. Um, speaking of Chris Smalling and his former teammate, Jesse Lingard, is also available on a free. I'm not sure any player has wasted more of their career than Jesse Lingard, but I'm also not sure any player has been more overpaid in England in the last five years than Jesse Lingard. He had that really good loan spell at West Ham. United decided to keep him. Still don't know why. He barely played this past season, Uh, but he is available and he's been linked to West Ham uh, and notably to Everton in the last couple of days. And I quite like the Everton link for him. I'm not sure where he plays ideally for them, but maybe in a 4-3-3 with him and Decore either side of a holding midfielder, that could be something that works. Uh, I mean, I think maybe... Not a lot of quality on the ball, obviously, but a lot of legs and a lot of pressing. Well, I mean, it's Everton. There's not going to be a lot of quality on the ball, but I think it kind of depends on how much emphasis you want to put on resuscitating the career of Deli Ali as well. I don't see that there's need or room to have both him and Jesse Lingard in the same squad unless you're planning on using Lingard as a right-sided runner, for example. Um, you know, if they want to have um, uh, Gordon, sorry, from the left-hand side as more of a, a cutting-in sort of player and he goes to, let's say, some sort of 4-4-1-1 or 4-2-3-1 variation, then you can have Lingard one side, Deli Ali and uh, Gordon. That's, that's quite an aggressive, quite a forward thinking, all of them quite good at ball carrying, all of them capable of getting in the box to support a centre forward, whether they end up with Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin or neither of the two and it's just Ron Don up front in the end. Uh, <laughs> There's the hope. There's yeah. <laughs> that's at least, you know, a bit of a bit of structure for them. It's a bit of uh I think it probably covers all the bases in terms of what needs to be done for an attack and support line but none of them actually of the particularly high level just yet. I do think Gordon's capable of going 
quite far in the game if he, you know, mm. stay on his feet and so on. Uh, Deli Alley may get back to that level, and we already seen what Jesse Lingard did at uh, West Ham in a six-month loan spell. So it's possible that he could get back to a similar sort of level, but I don't think it would happen at Everton. I don't think that it's a, a great signing for them because of, like I said, Deli Alley. And I imagine he probably thinks he's capable of going higher than that as well. I mean, it was only January he wanted to move to uh, Newcastle and all the riches and all the possibility of top half finishes that that entails, which again, neither of which are applicable to Everton. So probably West Ham, Newcastle, or if he really wants to take a bit of a gamble, but have a you know a decent team, a decent area of life, and maybe his goal scoring traits come to the fore, Brighton? Brighton would be interesting. They've got a lot of players who do things like him, though, like that work well off a striker. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's certainly an option for him. I don't know that, like, I think his wage demands are going to be quite high. He's been on big money at at United. Um, it struck me when you were talking about Everton and the three behind the one. They do also have uh, Damari Gray, obviously, who had a, a good season. So, you know, it wouldn't be the worst group of players, but if, if it's Rondon up front, it's all it's all for nothing, really. Um, he's one that, that does strike me as a potential Rodgers signing if Brendan has a bit of sway. I think Brendan would quite like a Jesse Lingard. Now, again, where would he play for them? Wide on the right in a 4-1-4-1, maybe. It's not really what they need to address. They need to replace Tielemans. But maybe they can shuffle the deck a little bit and move. If they were to move Dewsbury Hall next to Ndidi, give Lingard the license to get forward, play Barnes on the right, Madison on the left, that could be something that could work. I mean, it's, it's not ideal. Yeah, they play a different formation every week, though, don't they? So it'd be four, two, that's three, the thing. Diamond, and then the three, four, three, and then you know, there's not been a lot of consistency this year at all with them. Well, that's Brendan's bag, isn't it? When something doesn't work, he just changes everything and hopes for the best. That's what happens. Um, late tonight, eating toast. <laughs> right next up, uh, a central defender who I think the idea of him is better than the reality of him in Alessio Romagnoli, who at Roma looked like he was going to become the next great Italian centre-back, went to Milan early for a lot of money, struggled, then did quite well and became their captain, but has noticeably dropped down the pecking order in recent years. He strikes me as one that should stay in Italy. I'm just not sure where he would go. I mean, he could fit on the left of Atalanta's back three, and it's the type of signing they would do and turn him into a much better player than we've seen before. He could fit at Lazio, who are potentially losing their left-sided centre-back. I don't like the idea of him in the Premier League. I think he would get targeted and bullied quite frequently. Yeah, I mean, the problem he has, even if you put him at a a back three team like, uh, let's say, Chelsea, for example, who are going to dominate quite a bit of the ball and um, maybe not be as under as much pressure defensively, is that he's not that quick. He's not that agile. On mm. the t- uh, I think a couple of the injuries that he's had, plus the, the fact he wasn't like lightning to begin with anyway, it's probably gone against him over the last couple of years. I mean, this should be his peak, and really his peak was probably 23, 24 years of age, uh, judging by what's happened since then. So, again, I just I struggle to see that he has actually taken the leap to be among the not even the elite defenders, but the next level down, you know, the, the very, very good defenders. I just don't think he's quite reached that in the end. So if he's not too bothered about not being an absolute guaranteed starter, for starters, he could just sign again at Milan. He could maybe go to someone like Spurs, where you're an option to play either the middle or left of a three. Potentially, potentially go to somewhere like even Atletico Madrid, maybe, where they tend to sit a little bit deeper. And again, he can play left of the three, which has been the case very often for them this season. Um, but you're not guaranteed to start and you're not guaranteed to be in a three either. So no. whether that's a, a long-term thing, not too sure. It's it's a bit disappointing how his career has gone over the last couple of years, to be fair. Agreed. I think he 
if he wants to start, needs to take a step down. And if he was coming to England, I think like Wolves would make more sense for him on the left of a back three. Or Brighton on the left of a back three with Webster moving across to his more natural side on the right. Um, uh, other than that, I think if he if he's looking at the top clubs, I, I think he's looking at a squad role. And like you said, just sign on and stay at Milan. Wh- why not? Like, um, I mentioned Lazio, and the reason he could go there is that Luis Felipe is out of contract, and he's one I do like. But he, to me, he can only really be a centre back in a back. Three. I, I think he really does struggle in a four. I think he's probably a left back in a four more than a centre back in a four. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, again, I, I do quite like him to be honest. I think he's quite an aggressive player. He's you know aerial, all that kind of stuff. He's he's perfectly good at. He is someone I could see, for example, going in the middle of middle of Spurs is even back three, for example, and doing not too bad there at all. To be perfectly honest. Um, Playing out, he's okay. I wouldn't say he's great. He's 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 a reliable enough if you're just asking him to do fairly short. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fairly short, keeping out the the channels, for example. Basically, the recycler at the back, rather than anyone who's going to spread play and everything. But uh, I do think he's pretty decent in terms of defensive reliability, aggression, sweeping up, and then just obviously the the aerial challenges and everything as well. So a good player. But in certain systems, I wouldn't want him high in a, a two-man partnership, for example. No, no, definitely not. And you definitely don't want him in any kind of expansive role, either having to defend big spaces or, as you said, you know, trying to ping 40-yard passes. Because uh, those are going in the stands. Those are going well up in the stands. And your fullback could be 11 feet tall and he's still not getting to them. Um Next up is a player who is either 27 years of age, 30 years of age, or 34 years of age, uh, Chancel Mbemba of Porto, um, formerly of Newcastle. He has aged drastically, and there are obviously massive question marks over over what age he actually is. Uh, I do tend to believe he's a bit older than the 27 he's advertised as, but I'm not sure he's quite 34. I wouldn't sign him for a Premier League team. Um, I think he's a little bit too ploddy to play in the Premier League again, but he's not a bad defender. Ploddy. Ploddy, yeah. Ploddy. This is this, is this like, you know, the statistical analysis and the data and what it returns as his style is ploddy. Mm. As if he plays wearing Wellington boots with studs on them. Right. Um, so he'd probably then fit a farmers league. Oh, hey, yes, yes, I do think he would fit one of the more one of the more agricultural leagues, um, and I mean that in the most respectful way. Like I could see him going to, you know, a mid level club in Germany and and doing all right. I could see him at you know Union Berlin doing okay, um, but beyond that, I'm not really sure. Maybe okay. France would suit him. Yeah, I was going to say, I think if if you head back to France after he's obviously been playing at a decent level uh, over the last couple of years with, with Porto, obviously played quite an important role for them and played well, I would say, consistently well. You know, we, we came up against him a couple of times, obviously. And I think for his, his covering work, his ability to go in behind the fullback, uh, if they go higher upfield, the fact that he's quite aerially strong, uh, bravery and the challenge, all the rest of it. There's nothing in terms of his gameplay which suggests he's anywhere near the end of his career right now. Uh, obviously, where was he before he went to Newcastle? Was it Anderlecht? Somewhere like that? Anderlecht, yeah. yeah I think it was Anderlecht. Like, at that time, there was you know talk of him being a wing-back because he was so good at covering the ball really, really quickly, carrying the ball high upfield. Um, Newcastle tried to play him right back in a fall that I remember. I don't really remember him at centre-back too much for them. Maybe he did as well. Uh, I, again, I think that similar to Lacazette, you know, any of the, the higher up European level clubs in France could certainly benefit from how he played last season, for example, for Porto. There's no doubt about that. Considering um, Monaco, for example, might lose Badia Chile this summer. They're obviously going to lose Germany uh, almost certainly now. They're going to have a little bit of money to spend and also a, 
a couple of important places to fill. So if you can add one or two on a free transfer in the in those areas of the pitch as well and improve your depth, as well as bringing in someone to be a starter, that's going to boost your chances. And they've, of course, this time going to try and get through the Champions League playoffs, which they didn't quite manage last year. Right, moving on then. Uh, Florian Grilich, holding midfielder from Hoffenheim. Mm. He's a player I do like. I, I'm not suggesting I'd want him as a starter, but if we were to sign him as a, a backup for Fabinho, I wouldn't necessarily be against that. If that was just the role he was coming in to fulfill, I think he's pretty reliable in that kind of role. I think he'll have better offers. I think he'll have offers to go and start in a number of places. But is there a Premier League club that you think would be a good fit for him? Uh, I mean, he's played centre-back as well quite a bit. He has, so yeah. He's a defensive midfielder who can also go into into central defence or the other way around, you know, as a, as a central defender who can move forward in possession into defensive midfield. Again, I think you're looking at anyone who plays with a three around the wolf sort of level. We've already seen them, for example, go with uh, Roman Seiss, who was a midfielder playing in defence. We've seen Dendonka go from defence into midfield for them. So someone who, who, again, fills that sort of dual role is a really good option to have in your squad. As a starter... It probably depends on if they keep or sell Moutinho and Neves, to be honest, for Wolves. Mm. Um, Newcastle, I don't think, need him now. It'd be a great Brighton? Brentford. It'd be a really good addition for Brentford if they could... Oh, that's a shout. Level. Uh, that's a shout. I do like that idea because he could play, he could start in the back three yeah. and he could be your backup for Norgard as well as the holding midfielder. That's not a bad shout at all. Um... The next one, I'm expecting that he re-signs with his current club, and that's David Brooks of Bournemouth, who's obviously missed the majority of the last season after a cancer diagnosis. He has been given the all-clear to resume his career. Very, very talented player. Uh, my, My assumption is he stays with Bournemouth, but he's definitely someone that I think other Premier League clubs might have a bit of interest in. There's a lot of talent there. Yeah, I mean, he, he was a really good player the, the season that they were in the Premier League with him. And obviously, it's a great thing that he's made a recovery now and is able to get back to training. Um, there were reports, I think it was about two weeks ago, something like that, from their local media that he was going to be offered a, a new deal, at least for this year, uh, to, you know, obviously to give him back that year of his, his career as such. So I would expect that, yes, he would stay there. And of course, he's had the support and everything from them and he's you know, been able to go back and train him now and you would assume that given the time out that he's had, he might train across the summer as well if he is planning mm. on him. So just for that stability and consistency and everything and the, obviously the ability to play in the Premier League again if he, if he does so, it would be a surprise if he did anything other than that, to be honest. So, you know, the loyalty and support for each other would work both ways in that case. I think that makes the most sense. Yeah, I, I agree. I do agree. Um, this is another one that I think has a loyalty factor. Mm. It's Christian Eriksen at Brentford. Now, he obviously, the horrific scenes we saw at the Euros, everybody thought his career was over. Inter couldn't ensure him to play for whatever rules there are in Serie A, but pacemakers. Brentford gave him an opportunity, and it's an opportunity that worked really well for both clubs because he got to play again and they got a top-class midfielder that they otherwise would never have attracted. And he was very, very good for them. And I would like to see him stay there. I think if he stays there for like two, three more years, he'll be the greatest player Brentford ever had. They'll probably build him a statue. But if he has ambitions of getting back to a Champions League club, would you take the risk on him? Because I, I was wondering if Liverpool were to look at him to say, come in and play as a hybrid right side at eight, number 10, the way that role has sort of developed. If he was one of two additions to come in and play that position where he wasn't going to have to play every game, you're only looking at him at maybe, I don't know, 20, 25 starts across all competitions and you'd manage his minutes. Is he someone you'd take the take the chance on? I don't think I probably would, to be fair, and not anything to do with any of the health stuff. It's just the style of player he is. I've never quite 
seen him as aggressive enough for the type of player that I'd want as that uh, link player, the attacking player. Obviously, as a playmaker, he's sensational. His range of passing is really good. Set-piece delivery is something that we could always use more of rather than just relying on Trent on, and Robbo's corners. Um, but I, he's never really that physical in the challenge, for example. He's not, I wouldn't say a top range pressing option you know with the with the mobility and explosiveness that we get from let's say a cater or a henderson in that position just to make that first shuttle run you never really get that from ericsson because that's not the role he's asked to do with the clubs that he's at so i probably wouldn't put him near the top of my list as a player obviously yeah really really good and if we could get someone of the technical ability of him and the vision that he has that's that's better than what we have there at the moment but I think there are there are many more things to consider from a, from a physical standpoint and from a, you know the mindset in the game, off the ball sort of tenacity. Let's say uh, I don't think he probably ticks the boxes for me there. That's fair. Um, this next one's an odd one because talent wise, this guy probably should and would have become one of the best midfield players in the world, but he's had a plethora of injuries and fallen down the pecking order at Bayern Munich. Quarantine Tolisso. At Leon, he looked like he was going to be a world beater, but it just hasn't happened for him. He's had a lot of injuries, but do you think he's somebody that clubs will take a, a gamble on, like a big club could take a gamble on this summer? Yeah, definitely. I think he's one of the most potential upside signings this summer, especially, again, similar to ones we've said before, like Dembele, if you can get him on an incentivized contract, mm-hmm. it's about how much time you spend on the pitch and what you do. Honestly, this guy could be worth like 60 million again within a year, two years, something like that, if you if you land him at the right club. But I don't, obviously, we've no idea at all how Eric Ten Hag is going to try and set up the team. But he is of a quality to be able to play first choice for Man United's midfield when Man United are good again. So that kind of a, a rebuild... For, for both him and a team, I think could be amazing. He could be like a central focal point of a team. You know, obviously, like I said, I don't know how they're going to play. So if it's just a, a 4 2 3 1 or something like that, can you fit him and Fernandes in the same team? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe he doesn't need to play as a quite as an attack minded player anymore because of the injuries that he's had. And you can use him as a, a much deeper controlling six, a bit mm. more like uh, Diago, for example. So maybe you still can, but then you need the perfect defensive midfielder alongside him as well. Or maybe you need some... a rangy defensive midfielder as well that can cover yeah. a lot of ground. Yeah, or maybe someone wants to use him as a as a six, you know, and have him much deeper in space playing the passes, but with two really aggressive uh, defensive eights ahead of him who are not going to be creative as such, but who are going to get into the box and make the box-to-box and shuttle runs and cover the channels and all that kind of stuff and do his defensive work ahead of him. So loads of different ways you could utilise Tolisso. But if someone picks him up and doesn't just use him as a, you know, like Chelsea have used Saul this season, for example, or how Liverpool have not used Oxlade-Chamberlain this season, if he's actually going to be someone to come in and play a first-team role, honestly, he could be one of the best buys anybody makes this summer. Agreed. He's got so much ability. And like you said, he can kind of be anything as a midfielder still at this point. He could be that deep-lying six. He could be that controlling eight. He could be that attack-minded player. As long as you manage him carefully and pay attention to, you know, niggles and things like that and don't allow them to become more, you can definitely get a hell of a player in Quarantine Tolisso. Um, Federico Bernadeschi, who at Fiorentina looked like he might become a hell of a player, went to Juventus for relatively big money. And like many Juventus signings in recent years, it just didn't work. And he seemed to get progressively worse over his time at the club. Uh, I think we've talked about him before. Am I right in thinking you're not a massive fan? Yeah, pretty much. I, again, I think he was good at Fiorentina, but then has been a weird signing for them, used in a bit of a weird way, and ultimately has regressed as a player. Yeah, I mean, there'll definitely be clubs interested, but he's one I do think stays in Italy. I think there'll be, he might even go back to Fiorentina. There's, there'll be clubs that want him, but I don't think he's going to have the top European clubs knocking on his door. Um, Andre Onana looks nailed on to go to Inter Milan, so we can rule him out. Jason Denier of Leon, 
um, once formed a great central defensive partnership with Virgil van Dijk at Celtic, not of the level of the top clubs, but he could be a decent starter for a couple of different clubs, Carl. Yeah, I agree. I, I quite like Den I think he's a little bit erratic, obviously. He's, he's mm. never going to be an elite level defender, but he's definitely someone who can play for a European side. I, I would even, not at Liverpool because we're a level above even that, but I could definitely accept a case for Den Simon for a Champions League side as you know their third or their fourth defender. Uh, or you know, just the, the backup defender on the right, for example, or if you play a three-man defence, have him as your central and right-sided backup. So I do think he's got a lot of ability. Again, really, really aggressive. He does have an error in his game, and you have to accept mm. that that's part of what he is. The concentration doesn't always match the uh, the intent, let's say. But even again, uh, team I've brought up a few times because they're, they're quite progressive in how they play. They're, they have a, a bit of a need for signings this summer. Badia Chile is leaving as a, a starting centre-back. So Monaco, again, take him off a, a French rival, bring him in for free, and you've got a decent squad player there at the very least. That's not a bad shout. And, and you mentioned Marseille earlier, and they're also likely going to lose a centre-back this summer because Saliba's loan is over and Arsenal don't seem to want to loan him back there. And Kaleta Carr has long been linked with a move away, so he could be off as well. So, you know, they could bring him in as part of a bit of a rebuild there at the back. The next one's a goalkeeper that I think if you're looking for a really good backup goal, really good might be a stretch, but a good backup goalkeeper at a top club, I think he could go a lot worse than Walter Benitez. I think he's a good goalkeeper. I agree he's a good goalkeeper and for that reason as as if I was him I would definitely not be accepting any kind of backup status whatsoever I think he's way too good for that especially at 29 more That's fair What Premier what Premier League clubs if You uh, look from the top down I mean Newcastle have been linked with with a buy for um Dean Henderson so they they're maybe in the market for a goalkeeper He's an upgrade on Dubravka yeah, I don't know that there's a Premier League club he would be well suited to, to be perfectly honest, you know, without going down into the bottom half. Um, just because, you know, even the ones who we don't particularly rate, like uh, Hugo Lloris, obviously, I don't think is anywhere near what he was anymore, but he's going to sign a new deal and stay, and he's captain. Mm. Uh, Ramsdale, obviously, they're placing a lot of faith in him and going to give him plenty of chance to, to grow. They're not going to replace him. So I don't honestly think that there is anyone Premier League-wise that I would you know, advise, if you like, that he, he should be looking to sign for. I think if you, you're you looking for, at the very least, a Europa League side, for example, because you know, he's definitely capable of doing that. Uh, maybe you look over in Spain. I mean, there's been talk of Bono leaving Sevilla, for example. Maybe oh, I like that, Chef. Play, uh, quite that high. Uh, but difficult to see where else. I mean... I think he's better than Villarreal's goalkeepers, both of them now, because Asenjo has obviously not quite been able to recapture what he was. And, well, I think the, the less said about... <laughs> <laughs> and our boy Geronimo. The less said about Geronimo and the word consistency in the same sentence, the better. Um, so maybe someone like Villarreal, if he wants, like I said, European football, obviously the Spanish-speaking thing is a, a benefit for him in, in personal mm. life terms as well. So... I guess that's about as high as I could suggest. Yeah, I went through all the Premier League clubs this week on two-footed and did squad needs for all of them. Um, So the clubs I've marked that need a goalkeeper, Villa, but it's a backup goalkeeper, Brentford, a backup goalkeeper, Um, Burnley, a starting goalkeeper, they're no longer a Premier League club, Crystal Palace, a starting goalkeeper, we're going to get to that in a minute. Um, Leeds, but a veteran, a veteran third goalkeeper. So that's not him. Uh, who else do they have? Newcastle, a starting goalkeeper. United, a backup goalkeeper, assuming Dean Henderson leaves. Southampton, a starting goalkeeper. Again, like I know it's probably below the level of what he will want, but he could be a decent fit. And then I had West Ham 
looking for a starting goalkeeper as well. But I think they're going to sign Ariola. If they didn't sign Ariola, would you take Walter Benitez? Yeah, probably so. Yeah, if 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 Fabianski's not going to be first choice, then yes. And then I had Wolves looking for a backup goalkeeper as well. Um, right, moving on past him. Uh, I like that Sevilla shout. I think that's a good one. Um, Angel Di Maria, I mean, he's on a free transfer and he's old, so Juventus? Yeah, I, I don't really care where he ends up at this point. No. Uh, Sam Johnston of West Brom, he looks like he's going to fill the goalkeeping need at Crystal Palace. Hmm. I, I'm not a massive Sam Johnston fan. Like, he, he doesn't stand out to me. Even in the championship, I, I wasn't looking at him and thinking, you're by far the best goalkeeper in this league. So I just, is, is, I don't get the, a lot of the hype around him. Mean, I think he's a solid goalkeeper. I think Palace could have aimed higher, but what do you think of him as a, as a player and as a signing for Crystal Palace? He's fine. He's pretty typical English um, middle-of-the-road goalkeeper, to be honest. He's not going to make more than a couple of errors a season, probably. He's not going to be someone who you cannot replace a year or two years down the line if your funds allow. He'd be all right as a you know, a bridge goalkeeper if they've got other areas of the team that they want to improve on first. Right. Well, we know Divock Origi is going to AC Milan. Uh, John Anthony Brooks, central defender from Wolfsburg. Uh, he strikes me as someone that should probably stay in the Bundesliga. Yes. Here's one <laughs> for you to get your teeth into. Adnan Yanazai. I think he should go to... I think he should stay in Spain. I think La Liga suits him, to be fair. I, I really don't like Adnan Yanazai as a player. I think he's fairly selfish at times. I think when he gets into a decent run of form, he thinks he's suddenly Ansu Fati or someone. Uh, he's not really a player who is you know, going to be there in the trenches with you when you need him in the biggest of games. He has moments in matches where he looks really good, but he also has like 70 minutes in matches where he offers about as much as I did when I was laid up in hospital, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, absolutely nothing. He's a Celta Vigo sort of level of player, but I wouldn't honestly inflict him purposely on Celta Vigo because <laughs> um, there's a whole bunch more I'm going to just do three more and then we're done on this first one goalkeeper Thomas Dracotian now it looks like he's going to go to Fulham what do you think of that as a signing uh, depends if they use him as first choice or not because I was quite excited about Strakosian and how he was doing a season or two back and then not so much let's mm, say yeah he f- fell off a bit of a cliff didn't he yeah, so if you can, you know, recapture, he's still pretty young for a goalkeeper, let's be fair. So if you can recapture what you were and new environment and all the rest of it pushes you to, to new levels, even if he's not coming in as first choice, but is going to be allowed the chance to really push to be first choice, not just that thing where you say, oh, yeah, they're going to be competitive in training and you don't actually play them in anything other than a third round League Cup defeat to Scunthorpe. Well, yeah, that, that could be a really good addition. And like for maybe six months, they might battle and he's sat on the bench and watching and getting better and the rest of it. But if you have then for 18 months or, or two and a half years after that, a first choice keeper, that's a really good move. Right. Luis Suarez. I think it would be so fun to see him back in the Premier League. I do think a few people would probably get a bit of a, uh, a shock at what he does these days in matches uh, in terms of obviously compared to the running and energy and everything that he had before, because he isn't this now. But if you want him to come in from an Aston Villa perspective, because that's where he's linked with most heavily mm. as a you know last 20 minutes player who's going to run the channels and going to be a pain in the ass and is going to be in place if a chance falls to win or draw the match in the last five or 10. That is a good, 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 good signing. And they never, ever would have been able to sign a player of that previous calibre and that current reputation without the players and manager that they have now. Agreed. Agreed. Um, last one then. I think this guy makes a lot of sense for Arsenal as a backup to Gabriel who can develop over the next year or two and potentially allow you to sell Gabriel if a big offer comes in. Or he could make a ton of sense for Monaco because you mentioned they're going to lose Badi Achille most likely this summer. Dan Axel Zagadou. 
Yeah, a bit of a shame. I, I quite like Zagadou as a player, but again, injuries. And if we're being completely honest, a bit of concentration issues, which you know seems to come built in as soon as you put on the Borussia Dortmund shirt and play in defence. Mm. I, I, I do hope that he can go somewhere who allows him to play because as a, as a, a ball-playing defender from deep, someone who can push into the channels and play it wide and all the rest of it. I, I think he's quite a progressive player, really exciting sort of build-up uh, contributor. Maybe suits better in a three, again, like a few of them that we've spoken about in terms of uh, left of centre and someone who is a lot more reliable, solid and can cover for him just in case. Um, but even in a two, I, yeah, I think if, you, if you're looking at him as your first alternative that's a really good level of player that you've got there suddenly and you know with all due respect better than Rob Holding yes yes a lot better than Rob Holding right we will leave it there we will be back very soon with another one of these podcasts we are going to be cranking them out over the summer lots to talk about lots to cover so we will see you next time bye-bye we hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.